Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we need to review. We have to remember where we've been if we're going to get and appreciate where we're going today in Scripture. We saw Paul start out chapter 2 with our need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why? And we talked about the task of ministry. It's so great. The roles that we have to take on in reaching out to a lost and dying world, those require strength. God has to work through his people. You know, it's not an easy thing to be enlisted in the Lord's service. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has drafted you into his service. And so you must be strong, strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because if you're strong in your strength, you're not gonna get it done. You're not gonna last very long. If you're strong in your ability, if you're strong in your power, your might, uh, your ministry will come to nothing. God must work in and through your people. And just like salvation, it's by God's grace through faith, through you believing, you submitting, you obeying and following his call over your life. You have to be strong in his grace. Why? We have a job to do. So here it is, we saw it in verse two, the role, the key role that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, not your own things, not new things, the things that were entrusted to you, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So we talked about this last week. It, you know, in verse two, Paul's laying out our responsibility as stewards. The ministry is not something that we receive and then keep for ourselves. No, there has been a, a precious, wonderful deposit that God has seen made in our life. We are to steward that and make sure it gets passed on. We have spiritual treasure that should, it has to be managed for God's glory. Last week we saw that we're, 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 we're stewards. First Corinthians chapter four, verse one, look at this again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And remember last week we talked about the fact that a mystery in your Bible is not something that you cannot know. There are seven mysteries in the Word of God, seven mysteries that um, the Bible sp it spells them out plainly. I mean, it, it plainly declares what they are. A mystery is something that in the Old Testament was hidden. It was not known, but in the New Testament has been revealed to the church. And you have a responsibility to know them and to steward them for God's glory. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so, the things that have been entrusted to us, we commit to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in that, we saw the definition of a faithful man. It's not someone who takes and receives salvation and then sits on it. No, they're discipled and then they're making disciples. They're teaching others also. And that's our function, to teach the glorious gospel, to teach all things whatsoever Jesus Christ commands in his word. And if you're gonna do that, just know it's not an easy task. Everything in this world will be absolutely opposed to you making disciples. It's a hard thing because there's actually a battle raging around this issue. So get this down in your notes. We're actually engaged in spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. Whether you know it or not, you are locked in combat. You're like, I don't think I'm fighting anything or anyone. Well, you've probably already been effectively neutralized then. Uh, you're not seeing 
you're not seeing the battle because you're out of it. Okay, that's not cool. Because the Bible tells you that you are to wrestle. Get back up off the mat and engage the enemy. Ephesians 6.10 says, here it is, same thing. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle. The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. Was it tough getting to church this morning? How many had a hard time getting to church this morning? Were there any squabbles on the way here? The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. Okay, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against who? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So effective combatants, they have to be tough. I mean, think about our own military. Well, okay, maybe that's a bad example. Today in our military, we've got officers wearing dresses, wearing lipstick, dudes wearing high heels. You've actually got soldiers in our military today that are triggered if somebody doesn't call them by their preferred pronouns. You've got, you've got, you've got military authority that is more concerned about diversity, equity, and inclusion implementing a woke agenda in the armed forces than they are about, they're, they're, they're more concerned about that than they are the no-fail task of keeping this nation secure. The communists must be trembling when they consider the military might of America these days. I mean, have you seen them dressed up in these animals, I mean, all these furries leading the armed forces? It's just unbelievable. They're reducing the weight and fitness requirements for entry into the armed forces. Did you know that? Uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to make the weight you used to have to make. You don't actually have to be as fit as you used to have to be. Why? Why? Well, because people are getting bigger and bigger and weaker and weaker. I'll tell you why. Because soldiers today, they're not as tough as the soldiers that were sent over to the Middle East during Desert Storm. They're not. They're just not. And those soldiers are not as tough as the ones that fought in the Vietnam War. And I'm telling you, those soldiers were not as tough as the ones that fought in the Korean War. And those soldiers were not as tough as the ones that fought in World War II. And let me tell you something, World War I, you didn't want to mess with those boys. <laughs> they lived hard. They didn't have it as rough as the soldiers in the Civil War, did they? It just keeps devolving. I'm here to tell you this morning, in ministry, you're gonna face setbacks, you're gonna face hardship. You're gonna face hardships, betrayals, failures, heartaches, heartbreaks. There will be times of great lack, times of great hurt, and if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to, like I guess the military term sometimes is embrace the suck, like if you don't know how to embrace hardness as a good soldier, you, you will get, you'll get offended, you'll get mad, you'll get in a little tiss, I mean, you'll get into a huff and then you'll just take your toys and you'll go home. If the mission is gonna get done, then there's no space for us as believers in Jesus Christ to curl up in a fetal position and waste our time self-soothing. Hello, somebody. You have to endure hardness as a good soldier. Nobody ever said it was gonna be easy following and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he tells you up front, 
If you're gonna follow him, you're gonna take up your cross. You're gonna live the crucified life if you're gonna be effective in his service. This is why Paul tells us in verse three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, why? That he may please God, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So get this down in your notes. Point number one for study is be resolute. Be resolute in your service to God. You know, Paul now describes stewards, servants, disciple makers, as soldiers. He describes us in terms of the soldier. Because we are, like we saw in our introduction, we are engaged in, in, in spiritual warfare. It's a literal battle. It's a fully engaged spiritual battle, but it's a very real battle nonetheless. Okay, it's actual warfare, and I get it. There's, you don't see blood. It's a spiritual battle that is engaged. We just saw that in Ephesians chapter six. We just, we, we, we just walk through the fact that we, I mean the command is we wrestle against spiritual wickedness. And you need to know that in this spiritual battle, you actually have a threefold foe, okay? You have three literal foes. They're in league together, working for principalities and powers, but I'm wondering if you know who your enemies are this morning. Anybody wanna take a crack at it? Who has it? Raise your hand. Melissa? Ah, Melissa's on the, she's, in, she's, she's already got, you probably already fill out your handout. The world is your first enemy. It's the most visible foe, and we'll make a distinction here in just a second. Again, remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the lost world, the system of this lost world, the spirit, the age that we live in, it's our most visible foe, and the reason why is this world system hates a true follower of Christ. It hates a true follower of Christ, and uh, you know, I love Jesus, I follow the Lord, nobody gives me any trouble. Are you following the Lord? I wonder, are you, are you sharing the gospel? I promise you if you're sharing the gospel, that will be rejected. Um, are you making disciples? I promise you if you're making a disciple, you're gonna see how the world is clutching at them, how the world is working to keep them from moving forward in faith, you'll see it. Jesus says it explicitly in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, verse 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Oh, that's kind of tough. I, you know, I was, uh, I grew up thinking everybody loved me. I mean, I had a few enemies in high school, but I knew they were, you know, who they were, and, and so I didn't, I didn't give that much thought. I thought just in general, everybody loved me. Then I moved to Kansas City, and I found out not everybody loved me. <laughs> um, I, 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 I got a firsthand look at what racism looks like and saw the ugliness of that. And, and, uh, and then fast forward a few years, um, you know, God brought me through, and, and next thing I know, as a young man, I find myself in the pastorate and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I know how to treat people. I know how to 
be kind and respectful to people, and, and uh, this is just gonna be wonderful. I kinda had it in my head that I'm gonna be a minister of the gospel and, and everybody's gonna rejoice. Nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was a shocking thing to find out there were people that actually hate me for preaching what the Bible actually says, right? Uh, it, 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 this world, this present world system, does not like, they, they cannot stand who you are in Christ. So remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. There it is. Now nobody likes to be hated. I mean, who would like, who would enjoy being hated? There's something wrong with you if you enjoy being hated. You know, seethe in your hatred of me. Ah, yes, I just, like, uh, there's something wrong with you. Uh, it's, it's not normal to enjoy being hated. If you enjoy it, maybe you're a little crazy. I don't know. But are you willing to endure it for Christ's sake? Are you willing to endure the hatred of this world system for Christ's sake. Jesus said that the world is gonna hate you if it finds out who you are and where you stand in Christ. Paul tells us the same thing as Jesus in the next chapter, chapter three, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I mean, hello somebody. All that live godly, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Get this down in your notes. Not all that live in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but it's those that live godly in Christ Jesus that suffer persecution. You can be born again and not suffer persecution, and the reason why is because you're living for the flesh and you're not living Christ. So the question on the floor this morning is, are you? Are you living godly in Christ Jesus? Or are you on easy street where the lost world is concerned? You know, I get it. Today in America, there's very little suffering for followers of Jesus Christ. We have religious liberty, but it's there. I mean, we, you know, the, probably one of the most interesting, most recent iterations for me of what this looks like, and it's a small thing. It's really a trifle, but um, we've got several neighbors, um, uh, neighbors here close to us, and the, the, the ones that complain about the number of cars that we have here on Sunday morning, uh, we've had people you know, tell us, you guys are a real problem. Uh, and what they're talking about is all the parking around 40th and Walnut has been consumed like locusts you know, on Sunday mornings. And, and so you guys are a real problem. And, and uh, I think in every case that, that I've, no, I've noticed that kind of complaint, we were actually here first. Uh, we were here before, they, they moved in. Um, the, 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 this problem was already there before they moved in. And so, you know, be careful. Make sure you're not parking in front of a driveway. Um, make sure that you're parking in a space that is allotted for you. But uh, man, at the end of the day, that's really nothing. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's such, I mean, we're so privileged in America. There's very little persecution. People can be mad at you for sharing the gospel. They can be mad that, that, uh, that, that the parking <laughs> gets tough on Sunday mornings. I mean, man, if they're mad over parking, they, they ought to just, look like, what, you know, why is there a big crowd every morning at 40th and Walnut? They ought to just join the party. 
Um, just join with us, be part of the problem. Okay, so anyway, if you're gonna live Christ, if you're gonna live for Jesus Christ, Paul tells you you have to endure hardness as a good soldier. So it's gonna take a willingness to suffer on our part. That word that's rendered hardness here in verse three, it also it occurs again in chapter four, verse five, where it's rendered as endure afflictions. Afflictions are hard, aren't they? Timothy, endure hardship, endure affliction. You have to learn to take it. You must learn to be okay with suffering. Uh, you might not like it, you may be tired of it, but if the world hates you, I mean, the world may hate you, but God help you if you develop a hatred for the people that you see resisting who you are and what God's called you to in Christ. Uh, it's easy for Christians to get jaded against the lost world, and you cannot allow that to happen. Don't be the guy that says, fine, if you don't want my Jesus, you say I'm only a problem, you think you have all the answers, well then you go to hell and you figure it out. That can't be the heart of the soldier of Jesus Christ. Why, because we're fighting, because we're on a rescue mission. It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing, you have to guard your heart. And it's a strange paradox, oddly enough, while the world may hate you, the lost world is the reason we're fighting this battle. It's a battle for souls. We wanna rescue the dying. We wanna rescue the perishing. The world is why Jesus Christ himself suffered the ultimate affliction, the ultimate hardness of the cross of Calvary. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Here's Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look what the Bible says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he go to the cross? Because we were lost, that's why. He didn't say, fine, work out your rebellion in hell for eternity. No, he was not willing that we would perish. He was willing that we would be saved, that we would be born again. So he came and endured hardness, the affliction of the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so verse three tells you to follow in his footsteps. Consider him, consider Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Man, that should never be, I mean, that ought to always stay in our frontal cortex, man. If Jesus was willing to suffer that for me, well then I'm willing to follow his example. I'm willing to follow and take up my cross and I'm willing to suffer in his stead. John 3.16 says that God gave him his only begotten son, why? To rescue your perishing soul. So soldiers, they suffer different environmental factors. Uh, a soldier suffers the loss of, I mean horrific loss of comrades. They eat tough rations, they get injured, they get wounded. But they have to endure, they have to continue. They have to fight to the death. Well the same for the believer in Jesus Christ, you have to keep up the good fight. The world may revile you, but God loves them and is not willing that they would perish, and you're the person that he has on the ground to make a difference in their life. He left you here to teach them, to reach them and teach them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, so we have to endure hardness. Notice what Paul says here, you endure hardness as a good soldier. Okay, now if there are good soldiers, that means there are then what? If there's good soldiers, then there are bad soldiers. Okay, don't be a bad soldier. 
Why would somebody be called a bad soldier? Well, typically it's because they lose the battle with the second foe. So the world, what's the next one? The whole church say the flesh. That's the second enemy. Your flesh is your most constant and consistent foe. First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I, be, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. <laughs> your body, your very flesh, your own body is engaged in warfare with your soul sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, made one with the person of Christ through the new birth. Do you see that? Your, what your flesh wants wars against your soul. Your flesh is the second enemy of Christ and it will do what it can to destroy your walk with Christ. Your flesh wants to take you out of proper service to God. It's fine if you wanna have a form of godliness but it doesn't want the reality of God messing up its agenda. Your flesh wants to take you out, why? Because it hates you so much? You think your flesh hates you? You think your flesh hates the Lord Jesus Christ? No, I don't think so. I think your flesh is the enemy of you enduring hardness as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. I think, it, I think it wars against your soul because it loves itself so much. That's what, your flesh loves itself so much it will fight anything that gets in its way. It's the default setting of the flesh. I mean, the Bible says as much in Ephesians 5, 29. Here, there's a positive illustration. No man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but loves it, watch this now, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the church. So there we've got a natural process. If, you, if you're driving a nail and you're swinging your hammer and you miss that nail and it hits your thumb, what do you do? You don't just keep working Suck it up, thumb. Stop complaining, it's over there. <laughs> Throbbing, suck it up, don't be such a sis. No, you don't do that, immediately, oh, you start shaking around, you stick it in your armpit, I don't know why, but you do that or you'll, you know, like you're, like everything stops and you, you are loving and caring and cherishing and nourishing your flesh. That's how we're wired. So here's the flesh. It doesn't want you to endure hardness, that's uncomfortable for it. So here flesh, you want a whole bag of potato chips? No problem, have them. You want a sixth? You want a tenth Reese's peanut butter cup? No problem. Get what you want. You want to sleep in instead of getting up and getting in God's word? That's fine. You want to have improper sexual relationships? Okay. Flesh, you win. And then we wonder why our life is so jacked up. James chapter four verse one says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not from, come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Remember what Peter said? The lust of your flesh is warring against your soul. And look at how it comes out. Wars and fightings, ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war. Yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. I only want what makes me happy in the flesh. So many Christians are taken out by this second enemy. Your flesh wants what it wants, the way it wants it, when it wants it, how it wants it. It's selfish like that. And so many of God's people, they're walking in the flesh and they want what they want, how they want it, when they want it. 
They want their expectations met. They want their comfort and ease. They don't know how to deny the flesh and endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So how do we get victory? How do we win over the flesh? Okay, if you've been coddling your flesh your whole Christian life, you're not gonna like this one, but here it is, you gotta kill it. The word, biblical word is mortify it. And by that, we're not saying, the Bible is not calling you to commit suicide. Nobody does ritual disembowelment, Herod care, all right, none of that, that would be foolish. But you are to put to death the will, the lusts, right, the members of the flesh. Paul describes the battle against the flesh that every soldier of Christ has in Romans chapter seven. And in Romans chapter seven, he confesses his inability to gain victory over it. He does the things that he, know he, sh- he, he knows he shouldn't, the things he hates. And he can't do the things that he knows he should do, things that he loves. And so he ends the chapter with this statement. Romans seven, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. He says that, writer of two-thirds of your New Testament says that in the present tense. Oh, wretched man that I am. Why? Well, because the flesh is, it's not, I mean, you get, you get when you get saved, you're only two-thirds saved. Your soul is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. Your spirit is made one with God's spirit, but your flesh is still under the condemnation of sin. That's why you're gonna die, right? Nobody lives forever in sinful flesh. Why, it has the sentence of death on it still. It's, it's, it's not saved. Your flesh isn't born again until the resurrection until the rapture of the church. You're not gonna get your flesh to the place where it's saved, your flesh to the place where it's born again, where your flesh now longs for the word of God to be reality over your life. Paul says, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He gives the general answer here in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but..." with the flesh, the law of sin. And then in chapter eight, he gives, ex- I mean, very, ex- uh, very explicit, very specific instructions on how to gain victory, right? How to win over the flesh in Romans eight. Verse 13 says, here it is in a nutshell, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In Romans chapter eight, the instruction is mortify the flesh. You just gotta decide who's in charge, your flesh or the Holy Spirit, your flesh or the word of God. And your flesh wants what it wants, and you feel it. You want it, and it's true, that's, that, because that's who you are in the flesh. But that's not who you really are, right? We know no man after the flesh, not even ourselves. Who we really are is a new creature in Christ. And so, hey, old man, I know what you want. I know what your agenda is. Forget it. It's not happening for me to live as Christ and to to die as gain. So you mortify the flesh and you walk in the spirit. You walk in obedience to God's word. So get this down. You'll never get away with just saying no to the flesh. I hope you know that. You have to replace the flesh as the central focus of your life. You can't just live a life of denial. Nobody lasts that way. Doesn't work. I'm just gonna live my life denying my flesh. 
It's a two-part process. The mortification of the flesh, the living of Christ, the turning from a life in the flesh to a life in the new man, in the life of Christ. And so, look at, look at Colossians chapter three, and I just beg you this morning to make this your homework. Uh, just spend some time meditating in Colossians chapter three, verses one through 10. What an incredible passage to show you how to live victoriously. Verse five starts this way. Okay, your meditation assignment for this week is verses one through 10, but, but we're gonna pick it up here in verse five. Mortify, kill, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. And it lists them. Here's what the flesh wants. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con- concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. All that sin that your flesh longs for, Christ had to die for that. That's why people die in their sin and go to hell. In the which ye also walk sometime when you lived in them. You remember what you were like before Christ? So, new man, believer, Christian, verse eight. But now ye also put off all these. So we're mortifying the flesh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. Here's the key to victory, verse 10, and have put on the new man. How do I put on the new man? Verse 10. There's a daily renewal that needs to take place, isn't there? which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Man, I need to, like Romans chapter 12 says, I need to not be conformed to this world, I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Don't I? Man, I need to hear from the Lord Jesus every day of my life. I need to be strengthened. I need to be strong in the grace that's in him. How do I receive that? Man, I gotta have a relationship with him in his word. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You wanna wanna be conformed to the image of Christ? Spend time with him face to face. Spend time with him, hearing from him. Heart, right, the ear of your heart to the voice of his word. Cast, I mean, fix your eyes on Christ and be renewed in the inner man. That's the key to victory. You're like, I've done that. I read my Bible and then I turned around and sinned. Okay, agree with God. That's sin. Repent of that. Move forward in faith. Get back in your Bible and start, start, I mean, man, every time, okay, there's ice outside. And if you fell down, you're you're going home. You fall down on the ice outside and then you're like, well, my life's over. You would be the biggest moron in Kansas City, wouldn't you? If you fall down, what do you do? You get back up and you keep walking. Believer, brother, sister in Christ, oh, you messed up in the flesh. Okay, you busted your tail on some black ice. Get up and start walking again. Start walking with Christ. Put on the, the, put on the new man. This is a critical combat skill. See, the flesh is to be mortified daily, crucified with Christ. Man, that flesh keeps getting off the cross and gets settling back into control and And so you gotta be vigilant. You gotta put him right back on the cross. So soldier of Christ, you will have to endure hardness because of three enemies, the world, the flesh, what's the last one? 
Ah, the devil, there he is. There is an actual devil, he is real. There are many devils, there are many demons, many faults and wicked spirits. I appreciated Zoya's testimony. You know, she was lost and was captured by witchcraft and divination and the Lord Jesus set her free, man. Praise the Lord. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, you have an enemy. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, the devil wants to take you out. The devil wants to take you out. We just saw this in Ephesians 6. Right? We have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because we, we gotta put on the whole armor of God because we are wrestling against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6. So don't kid yourself. You are not loved by everyone. The devil hates God, he hates Jesus, he hates this church, and he hates you. (laughs) Did you know that? The devil actually hates you. He wants to devour you, he wants to take you out. He hates you because he's contrary to God's purposes. And he'll do anything he can, anything it requires to derail you in your service to the Lord. What he does is he's got many devices at his disposal. He's got many snares that aid him in capturing believers and derailing them, derailing their faithful service to Christ. He will use anything and everything to depress you, to dissuade you, to derail you. He'll use the lost world, he'll use your flesh, he'll use his unholy demon army. And soldier, you better be on guard, you better be wary because the devil is laying traps for you. He has snares, and this is why Paul tells Timothy, he warns him about this common snare. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now watch verse four, here it is. There are snares that will keep a soldier from being effective. Verse four, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Don't you know that the devil wants to use just the day-to-day issues of the world to keep you from living Christ? There are snares, there are traps. So if you're gonna be effective in service to Christ, you have to not be entangled. Why? So that you may please him who hath chosen you to be a good soldier. So point number two, be pleasing to God. Be pleasing to God. And so be wary, be vigilant. The way that Satan takes most people out of the mission is he sets a trap And then he just lets you get bogged down in the affairs of this life so that you have no time, you have no resources to serve God. So men and women, you have to decide today, you have to decide right now. Many of you are so young, (laughs) praise the Lord. Decide while you're young, are you gonna join the Lord's army? And if you're gonna fight in God's war, then don't fall into the typical traps of distraction that so many believers who have gone before you Their whole life is just wasted. They're ineffective for Christ's kingdom because they are entangled in the affairs of this world. I mean, a lot of times it's good things. Good things that come at the wrong time or the wrong way. Maybe, you know, you need a place to live and so you overbuy, you're in debt, now you're working three jobs and now you're derailed because you don't 
you literally don't have any time to give to the things of God. Wrong relationships, a relationship is a wonderful thing. But now this boy or this girl becomes more important than God. I've seen that, I've seen relationships pull people out of discipleship. You end up pregnant way too early, you weren't ready, you didn't get the training that you needed and now here you are raising a child with very little time to serve God. You're entangled, right? Maybe good things at the wrong time, the wrong way, that they're hindering your service to Christ. Or maybe you're, you know, you're still a young Christian, you're not ready to serve God on your own. So what Satan will do is he'll steal you away from the place of blessing with a job offer in another, in another city where there are no churches that are doing biblical discipleship. We've seen that happen countless times over the years. Entangling God's people in the affairs of this world. So there you are, chasing that dollar, and man, next thing you know, in a few years, you can't tell your family from the family next door that's lost and dying in sin. There's no difference between you and them. In every trap that Satan lays, the end result is exactly the same. You are now distracted from God's plan for your life. You're not living for him, you're living for yourself. Now you may be saying in one of those scenarios, Sam, you absolutely already described me. So now what? Well, do you give up? Do you throw in the towel? I'm entangled. I guess it's over. No, you don't do that. If you're entangled in the affairs of this world, then you begin the process of unentangling yourself from Satan's web, right? The, the encumbrance of the affairs of this life. You start working to get out of debt. You start working to normalize the mess that your life has been made. And you decide that nothing's gonna dissuade you from serving God, from fulfilling his plan for your life. And as you begin to trust God to deliver you from Satan's net, it will be hard. You'll have to make huge decisions. Sacrifices will have to be made, hard decisions. You probably have to work harder than you ever had in your life. Why? Because you're entangled. And sometimes it takes a while to get cut free from those traps. But you do whatever it takes. You set a game plan. Okay, here's, here's how my life is a mess. Biblically, what's my best path forward to normalize this, to be untangled from this so that I can honor God with my life? You gotta decide if you're ready to join in service with the soldiers of Christ, if you're ready to join, I wanna encourage you to hook up with us. Let us help you get on track. Let us disciple you, let us counsel you from God's word. Know this, if you are sincere in serving the Lord Jesus, then you have a friend in me. You won't have to go through that alone. We've got, we've got ministers, men and women who will walk with you, they will walk beside you and help you become unentangled. However, if you come, right, if you're gonna serve in God's army with us, don't come looking for validation for your sin because we're not gonna give it to you. You come looking for a partner to help you get out of the snare of the devil. Why, because 2 Timothy 2 uh, tells you, I'm mean, gonna get down to the end of the chapter, and at the end of the chapter, what we find out is you're gonna find out what the word of God says about your situation, and then you have to recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. So we're gonna help you do that. You know, those of you that are still unentangled, you've not become entangled with the affairs of this life, 
you've got the advantage of not yet having been trapped in Satan's net, and so you decide how you're gonna live your life. Decide up front, you're gonna avoid the decisions of those that have gone before you, that have had, that have, I mean, just completely taken them out of ministry, has them completely encumbered in the affairs of this world. So stay out of debt, right, so that you'll be free. When you buy a house, don't buy it and be upside down on it. So now you're stuck making a house payment when the Lord's calling you to serve in cross-cultural missions. You wanna make sure you have enough money to put down on that house that you can sell it easy in a moment. Stay out of debt. Stay out of bad relationships. Man, oh my goodness, you marry the wrong person. You're cooked. Stay out of, stay out of unfaithful friendships. Do the people that God has, it, I mean, do the people that are in your life, does God have them there? Do they love you enough to make sure that you're putting in your time, right, that you are staying accountable in your walk with Christ? Or are they a distraction? Do they try to entangle you? Whenever I first started attending the Kansas City Baptist Temple, man, I, uh, I had some good friends. We loved hanging out together. There was about seven to 10 of us. And instead of going to church, on, we had Sunday night service. That's where the pastor would go deep in the word of God and, and, uh, and also on Wednesday nights. And, and uh, never went to Wednesday night services. Oh my goodness, who's got time for that? Sunday nights, instead of going and doing Bible study, we would, uh, we would just all come to my house and we'd watch in living color, because that was the thing back then. And uh, <laughs> honestly, I was just watching for the fly girls, but whatever, okay, so. Um, like, we, were, we had a form of godliness, but there was no reality of God in my life in any of our life. We were just going through the motions. We were Christians and we attended a church service on Sunday morning. Well, the word of God is a, I mean, it's a hammer and an anvil both, man, and God got a hold of my heart. And all of a sudden I realized I'm wasting my life. Well, these are my church friends. Okay, well, man, I wanna be good to them. I wanna encourage them to move forward in faith. And so, hey, are we going to, are we going to mini golf tonight? No, I gotta go to church. Man, let's just go to church instead. Um, I, I don't know that I lost my friends, but we, with some of them, we quit walking together. Others of them, though, they, uh, man, praise the Lord, they started walking with Christ. Uh, some of the people from that group are serving the Lord today in ministry. Man, praise the Lord, it's a wonderful thing. You have to decide, you're not gonna let anything or anyone keep you from following Christ. Stay away from the things that distract you, that entangle you, that keep you from the place of blessing. Well, does that mean I have to leave the world and become a monk on some mountaintop? No, 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 no. You're to reach that, you're, the, the, the world is who we're trying to reach. You just make sure that you're in control of the affairs of this life and that the affairs of this life aren't in, in control of you, right? That's the key. God wants to equip you to serve him with your life, not your leftovers. That's why Paul says in verse four, you do it that you may please Christ, that you may please him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. God's chosen you, he's drafted you, 
In Ephesians 1.4, he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Jesus says it explicitly in John 15.16. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. God has a plan for your life. There's a call on your life. If you don't know if you're going to heaven, well then his call on your life is for you to give your life to Christ. Make him your Lord and Savior today. But if you're saved, if you're a new creature in Christ, you've been drafted. And he wants to use you to be a part of reaching this lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants you in his army. He chose you. He drafted you. But some of you, today you're AWOL. You're absent without leave. You're not showing up for service. Man, at the end of the day, God will take care of you. Salute, sign up, right? Fall in line, enter into his service, trust your life to his care, and he will care for you. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 says, who goeth to warfare at any time at his own charges? The Lord will support you in the work that he's called you to. He's a loving God. He has plans for your life. You need to decide. I mean, sometimes it's a daily decision. I'm gonna stay available to be fruitful in his service. Never forget you're in a war, whether you like it or not. You will either be a casualty or you'll be victorious. God's willing to give you everything that you need in order to be successful. 2 Corinthians 10 verse three says, we have a life in the flesh, but again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see that, 2 Corinthians 10 verse three. Uh, the weapons of the warfare that we're fighting, they're not fleshly. Uh, no, watch what the Bible says. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the last question on the floor this morning. What is exalting itself against God and his purposes in your life? What is it? I'd ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, humble yourself before the Lord. If you'll do that, you can actually reflect and see you know, really where you're at with Christ, where you're at with, with the Lord. How many would say, Pastor, today I'm, I'm, in, I'm entangled, I'm encumbered. I've been ensnared, I've been entrapped, and, and I'm just so busy living my life in the flesh, entangled with the affairs of this world, uh, that I'm not, I'm not walking in freedom and liberty, pleasing the Lord who's called me, who's chosen me to be a soldier. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Yep, anybody else? Okay, oh, yeah. Anybody else, please pray for me. I'm encumbered, I'm entangled. I've been ensnared, yeah. Okay, how many would say, Pastor, Pray for me because I have not yet surrendered my life to Christ. Would you pray for me? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Let me see your hand. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody else? Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to pray. And then I want to invite you to come, right? If you're entangled, and you want help, you want some counsel, you want somebody to pray for you, uh, to, to call on the Lord for his blessing over your life as you begin the work of unentangling yourself from the affairs of this life. Some of those things, some of those responsibilities, you can't just walk away from and be in the will of God. But you can 
So help you God by his grace. You can see those, those entanglements made pockets of freedom, right? You can see them normalized and uh, you can do it biblically. And so, you know, it's good to have counsel. It's good to have people in your life that, that are advising you to make sure that the decisions that you're making, that they're biblical, they're God honoring. So I'm gonna pray and then I wanna invite you to come. Father, Lord, you see we've got, we've got two, maybe three this morning that are not sure that they're saved. They don't know that they're born again. Lord, your word says today is the day of salvation. Lord, your word says that we can know that we have eternal life. And so Father, I pray that you would bind the enemy and the excuses that he whispers into the hearts of people that, that makes them think they can delay, that they can put this off until another time. Lord, we, we ask that today you would, you'd see these souls saved, uh, that these two men, this lady, that they would confess Christ as their Savior and Lord. Uh, so many times people get stuck and they wonder, did they believe enough? Did they confess enough? Did they pray enough? And, and we end up putting uh, the work of salvation back on ourselves and it's just not so. Uh, Lord, you finished the work at Calvary and so Lord, help us, help us to, to lead people to be saved by your grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. And then Lord, for all of these that are saying, I've been entangled. I've got a call on my life to go and to serve in cross-cultural missions. I've got a call on my life to make disciples, whatever it is. Um, Lord, these calls that you have on the life of every believer and, and, and Lord, so many are not functioning in the fullness of their call because they're entangled by the affairs of this life. Lord, we pray that, that today they would begin the serious process of normalizing those pockets of dysfunction of, of cutting themselves free from the entanglements of this lost world. And then Lord, be glorified and be pleased to use their service for your kingdom. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.